John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God." Well, as we look at John chapter 3 here this morning, kind of doing what you're supposed to do in times of catastrophe and, and times when things are a struggle maybe, and that is to kind of get back to the fundamentals, get back to the basics. And there are not many passages probably more basic or more fundamental than John chapter 3 and especially verse 16. It's a verse that I think most people know. In fact, many, many people can memorize I even had a coworker one time when I lived back in Washington State, a, a man that worked with me, and, and he didn't claim to be a believer, wasn't a Christian. He told me in a conversation one day, he says, I, I memorized a Bible verse, and I was surprised, and I said, really, what one? And he said, you know, that one everybody knows, that one that you see at the football games and stuff that people hold up. And, and I said, John 3.16? He says, yeah. He says, me and some friends one day were watching a football game and, and saw that brought up and we looked it up in the Bible and we memorized it. And so a lot of times even people that don't claim to follow Christ or believe in Him have memorized this verse. That's what I want to consider this morning. This idea that started the conversation, which is this idea of being born again. And so we're going to consider being born again this morning. What does it mean? How do I know whether I've been born again or not? It's, it seems like a monumental point in, in one's life. When I think of a baby coming into the world, it's, it's, at a, it's at a certain moment that it takes place. It's a memorable moment. It's a, it's a moment that's recorded by people to the exact minute that the child was born. 
And so, uh, obviously, it ought to be something that stands out in our lives as well. A definite turning point within our life. Well, as we look at this idea of being born again, uh, John chapter 3, Jesus goes into it in some depth. We also find it in other places within the Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. About 20 verses later, he'd go on to say, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. And so Peter also acknowledging that as Christians, we all have this, we have this born again experience. It's, it's that which brings us into the family of God. In the Bible, you can find two different ways that we're brought into the family of God. We're brought in through adoption and through birth. And not our physical birth, but as Jesus explains to Nicodemus, this spiritual birth. Now, as we look at it here this morning, we're going to see within this passage five truths concerning this new birth. Now, the first truth that stands out to us is the need for a new birth. We see that Nicodemus, when he first comes to Christ, he comes to him with a, with a statement. He says, look, we know something. Because of the things that you've done, because of the miracles that you've been able to perform, we know that you're a teacher come from God because nobody can do the things you're doing unless God is with him. But Jesus skips the formalities. He cuts right to the quick. He goes right to the heart of the issue with Nicodemus. And he makes this statement. Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. He doubles down on it. He says, unless one is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is perplexing to Nicodemus. It's also perplexing to us. Because as we look at it, who is Nicodemus? We're told a few things about him, that he's a Pharisee, that he's part of the Jewish ruling council. So he's one of the leaderships. In other words, this is a person of position, he's a person of prominence, he's a person of responsibility within the community. Being a Pharisee, he would be somebody that was good, somebody that took his religion very seriously. In fact, that's what the Pharisees were known for. They had, in in dealing with like uh, their regulations on the Sabbath, they went so much farther than God or the Bible ever did on the Sabbath, because God said don't work on the Sabbath for the Israelites, and the Pharisees came up with rules of what it meant to not work on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to tie a knot on the Sabbath, <laughs> except for there was an exception. Women were able to tie that, uh, the sash, or whatever you would call it, that goes around them. And so that caused some problems, but they found a way around some of those problems. For example, if they went to the well and found that the bucket was not tied to the rope to be able to get some water, they would get their wife's sash. And because since that you're allowed to tie the sash, they would tie that to the bucket and tie that to the rope and be able to get the water. But the point is, look at the extremes that they would go to to take their religion very seriously. But Jesus seems rather unimpressed. He takes this person, Nicodemus, who, what do we see in Nicodemus? We see somebody that is good and tells him, you must be born again or you're not even going to see the kingdom of heaven. So even Nicodemus's level of goodness is not good enough. He takes this person that is religious. He was a religious leader. In fact, Jesus would refer to him as the teacher in Israel. And he would say, 
That's not good enough. You must be born again. And so we see within Nicodemus that even this person who's good, this person who's religious, that he, he still desperately needed to be born again. He needed this new life. He needed to be born into the family of God. And that obviously is not accomplished through being good enough. And it's obviously not accomplished through being religious enough because if it was, Nicodemus would have been okay. Now, why is there this need? Why can't we be good enough? Why can't we be religious enough to get to heaven and to be able to see heaven? Well, it's because if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we find the source of our problem. In chapter 2 and verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, as we look back at that passage, we notice that the day that Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the garden, that in a sense they did not die. They continued to live on. They continued to have offspring. And in fact, that's why we're all here today. How do we reconcile those two things? Well, I think we reconcile them in two ways. First of all, The reason that they did not die physically that day is because God allowed a substitute. Because they tried to clothe themselves in fig leaves, which are a poor clothing. God took an innocent animal, killed the innocent animal, took the skins from the animal, and covered their nakedness, covered their guilt with the skins of that animal. The very first tip of what we see going to happen for us down the road in Jesus Christ. But God allowed a substitute to die in their place. That's one of the reasons that they did not die that day. The second reason is that they did. You see, the Bible talks of different kinds of death. The Bible talks about a physical death, which is is when your soul leaves your body. In Genesis chapter 35 and verse 18, it says, And it came to pass as her spirit was departing because she died. That's what happens when we die physically. Our spirit leaves our body. It is separated from our body. Well, the Bible also talks about a spiritual death. A spiritual death is not when our spirit is separated from our body, but the separation between our spirit and God. And that's exactly what we see in Adam and Eve that day. So they did not die physically that day because something else was allowed to die in their place. But they did die spiritually because they were exiled from the garden. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, kicked out of the presence of God because their sin had separated them from their God. Just like Isaiah tells the nation of Israel, your sin has separated you from your God. And just like in Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 1, as the apostle was writing to the Christians and causing them to remember their days before they became a Christian, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, they weren't physically dead in their trespasses and sins. They were spiritually dead because they were separated from God because of their sin. Nicodemus, as much as he tried to be good, was still spiritually dead, separated from God. As much as he tried to be religious and tried to be sincere, he was still separated from God in his sinful condition. He doesn't just need to be better. He doesn't need just to be more religious. He needs to be saved. He needs to be made alive. In fact, Nicodemus, I think, was very sincere as an individual. And notice he, it says that he comes to Jesus by night. And, and many have said, well, that's because of fear, because the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, and that's very true. 
Jesus had just recently cleansed the temple, flipping over the money tables, made a whip and drove people and animals out of the temple. The Pharisees had a real problem with Jesus, and Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees. Uh, It probably wouldn't have gone well for him with his other Pharisees if they knew that he was visiting with Christ in this way. But I don't think that the fear was the whole reason. I think part of it was sincerity. You see, he's coming to Jesus at night when nobody else is around. He's not trying to make a political point. He's not trying to knock down Christ in front of the public and gain some fame for himself. You know, it's kind of like people often act very politically. And when I think of like, you look right now with our situation going on and look at the the president and, uh, well, his whole time as president, not even just this time. But there are some people out there that it does not matter what he does. They are going to find a way to tear him down over it and through it and no matter what he does. You know what, and I don't think it's just a partisan thing either. I I said the same thing while Barack Obama was a president. When Barack Obama was a president, there were some people that it didn't matter what he did. If he helped an old lady cross the street, which I don't remember him doing that, but if he did, there would still be people that would find fault. There would be something the matter with him doing that. And that's the way it is with President Trump today, I think even maybe more so, even on steroids. But he can't do anything right because of them. Well, the reason I bring that up is because that's where Jesus was. Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees was such that he could not do anything right. He would raise people from the dead. They would still find fault with him, and they did. He could heal children, heal blind people. They still would find fault with him. But Nicodemus is different. Nicodemus is not here to score political points or put on a show because there's no audience. He comes at night, so there's no show. In fact, we see a sincerity later on in his life because when Jesus goes to the cross, Nicodemus is one that will be dealing with his body. He has become a believer by that point. But even sincerity itself is not enough. Jesus is still telling Nicodemus, look, you're a good man. You're a sincerely good man. You're a religious person. But you need to be born again. You still don't have life. Well, Nicodemus gets confused. Well, what, what do you mean? How do, how do I get this life? How do I get born again? And Jesus says, uh, it's not about physical birth, like Nicodemus brought up, going back into your mother's womb. Jesus says, no, it's not about physical birth. It's about a spiritual birth. You're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. You need to become spiritually alive. And within this passage, we also see a provision for that. We see a provision. Jesus tells Nicodemus, he takes him back to a story in the Old Testament during the time of Moses. It's found in the book of Numbers. And there was a time when Israel told God, you brought us out in the wilderness to kill us. And they were rebelling against God. And God sent poisonous snakes into the camp. And the people were being bit by the poisonous snakes. And they were dying. And and they were getting sick. and, And they cried out to Moses. And Moses cried out to God. And God sent them a deliverance. And God's told Moses, take a staff and make a bronze serpent, an image of a serpent, and raise it up on that staff. And if anybody, they come and look up at that snake up on the staff, they will be saved. They'll be healed. And so he did that. He made the bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, stood it up in the, on the ground. And whenever somebody was bit, they could come and just look at it. And they would be saved. Well, Jesus uses that. And he says, that was me. That was a picture of me. It says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And whoever believes in Him, you see, it took faith. 
If you were bit by the snake, you had, had to have faith that looking up at that other snake up on the pole would heal you. And it would. And so Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up that whoever believes in Him will live, will have eternal life. All through the Old Testament, especially during this time of Moses, we see so many different images of Christ. So many different ways that God saved Israel through the use of like a staff or, or the use of different things that pointed to Christ. We see Moses and the children of Israel up against the Red Sea with Pharaoh coming and it's certain death. They know that they're dead. Until God tells Moses, raise up the staff over the Red Sea and they go across on dry land and they are saved. They get to live. Then they get over into the wilderness and they say, we're going we're gonna to die of hunger. We're hungry. And God brings in the manna. He brings in the manna and they find it on the ground every day. And that's a picture of Christ because Jesus says, I am the true bread from heaven that brings life. And then they said, we're going to die of thirst. And, and God has Moses pick up the staff and he hits the rock. And out of the rock comes this living water. The Bible tells us is that rock that followed them in the wilderness. And so over and over we see this pattern where they are dead except for God intervening on their behalf. God bringing them life. And those are all images of Christ. And that's the whole point. The only way for us to have life is in Christ. Now they're dealing with the, with the sickness in the, in the wilderness still and the, getting bit by the snakes. And Jesus said they lifted up that snake and everybody that looked up to it in faith was saved. They got to live. Jesus says, I'm about to be lifted up and if you look to Me, you will live. You see, God provided for us life and that life for us comes through the death and the resurrection of His Son. When He came to die, He died in our place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so over and over, and this is just a small sample, over and over through the Bible it points us to the same thing. That Jesus Christ came to die as a substitute for us, to take our death upon Himself so that He could give us His life. And so no matter how good Nicodemus was trying to be, no matter how religious, no matter how sincere, he still had to have Christ. Christ is life. Now what's the reason? Why would God do this? In verse 16, it gives us the answer. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why would He send His only Son down to die in your place and in mine to take all that suffering upon Himself is because He loves you. Plain and simple. He loves you. The same thing he says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, He doesn't just love Nicodemus. This expands way out beyond Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a guy that was working hard, trying to be good enough, trying to be religious enough, trying to be sincere enough, and all of it falls short. But you know, not all of us can say that we spent our life 
trying to be good enough, trying to be religious enough, trying to be, you know, God loves you too. God loves me too. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the reason for this is the love of God. But not only the reason, he also gives us a method. How do we, how do we do this? How do we, okay, Jesus came and he died on the cross for us. He rose again from the dead. He was lifted up like the serpent. I, I get it. And without Christ, we're completely dead. With Christ, we can be alive. But how do we receive that life? What, what makes the change? How do I know that I'm born again? Or that I need to be born again? It, it's one word that's repeated, repeated seven times through the passage. And it's the word belief. Notice in verse 12, Jesus says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You see, his point that he's headed for is, is it's all about belief, Nicodemus. You, you need to believe this. And then in verse 16, For God so loved the world that who, He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Oh, I missed one in verse 15, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life, right after talking about Moses and the serpent. In verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Obviously, the whole point is belief. Those who believe are not condemned. Those who don't believe are already condemned. And that's, that's just as we were talking about earlier. That establishes our need. We're already dead in our sin. We're already condemned before God. He wants to deliver us. He wants to provide that salvation for us. And He is. And how does that happen? Through believing. Now, what's, what's the difference? Notice, remember when Nicodemus first comes to Jesus, he makes a little bit of a statement that we would almost see as a statement of faith. He says, we know that you're a teacher coming from God because nobody could do the things you're doing unless God's with him. Now, that, to some extent, is a statement that he, he at least believes that. He believes that Jesus is come from God. But it's not the belief, obviously, that Jesus is talking about by the end. What's the difference? The difference is found in the story about the snakes. You see, Nicodemus was at the point where he was willing to acknowledge that Jesus was from God. That's a, way, a huge step of, ahead of all the other Pharisees. But my point is, he's just believing some things about Jesus. It's a very different thing to believe something about someone and actually put your faith and trust in that person. If you look at the story of the snakes, there's a, a few elements of their belief. One is they get bit by a snake and they know one thing. Without looking up to the snake on the pole, I die. With looking up to the snake on the pole, I live. And then they do exactly that. They go look up to that snake. You see, the point is Nicodemus he is believing some things about Jesus right now. He's a good person. He's a good teacher. He obviously from God because we can see the power of God working in his life. But he hasn't got to the point where he recognized without him I'm dead. And that's the point until we get to the point where we recognize our condition before God. I remember I became a pretty religious person before I became a Christian. Now, I was practicing, I thought, the Christian religion. I was, I was trying to live up to certain standards. I was trying to be good enough. And I figured I was doing okay. I figured God was happy with me because I'm, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. I haven't been perfect, but, but I'm, I'm good. I'm pretty good. And I believe that He exists, and I'm trying to live my life in ways that's pleasing to Him. And so I figured I was okay. 
Until one day all of a sudden I realized, no, I'm not. If I was okay, Jesus wouldn't have needed to die for me. I, I realized that I was in the condemned group. I was in the spiritually dead group because I didn't have Christ. Before that, I believed a lot of things about Jesus. I knew He was the Son of God. I knew that He died on the cross and rose again from the dead, but it didn't connect with me. You see, those people in the wilderness that were bit by the snakes, it connected with them very personally. They realized, oh no, I've been bit. I'm dead without looking up at that snake. That's what salvation is like. That's what being born again is like. That's what Nicodemus had to come to. He had to come to the point where he realized it's not my goodness. It's not my religion. It's about Christ. If I don't have Him, I'm condemned. If I don't have Him, I'm dead. He needed Christ because that's where the life is. You know, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, it tells us the same thing. It says He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the, watch the wording here, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That is describing the new birth. The washing of regeneration. Regeneration is when we get that new life from the Spirit of God at the moment of our being born again. And so He says it's it's not by works which we've done. It's by believing, it's by the mercy of God, it's by trusting in Him. And so the method of the new birth is believing. And then lastly, we see the results of the new birth as well. As in this passage, it, it talks about the results, it compares it to the wind. It says the wind blows where it wants, and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, but how do you experience the wind? You see what it accomplishes. You see the, the trees waving in the wind. You, you see if you have a hat on, a hard time keeping it on, it blowing off your head and blowing away. Um, anybody that's ever dropped a few papers on the ground during a windstorm has, has had a frustrating experience with this truth. You don't see the wind, but you see the results of the wind, the effects of the wind. And that's what Jesus points out to him also. And then as we get down toward the end of the passage, he points out how that happens. He said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, the point is the result of our being born again in the end, not only do we have life and salvation, but since we all of a sudden have life, it's going to change your life. There's no way to go from death to life without having it affect your life, without having it change your behaviors and change who you are. Jesus describes it here as going from being a person that loved the darkness because all of your deeds were covered, they were hidden, to being a person that loved the light because you do the truth and you walk in the truth. You know, if we claim that we have a born-again experience, but we don't see the effects of it in our life, then we're lying, as First John tells us over and over. If we say that we uh, have this spiritual life within us, but we can't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit working within our hearts and lives, as it lists out in Galatians chapter 5, then we're wrong. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, Jesus, when He comes into our life, He he turns it upside down. He starts to put new desires and hungers within our heart that weren't there before. He starts to make changes in our life. We become more like Him. And as we and it's a process. We grow in it a little bit at a time, just like a baby that's newly born is going to go through a dynamic growing process throughout his whole life. Well, that's what we experience spiritually as well. And so as we look at this passage here this morning, you know, there's... There's the, the term born again has been used for a lot of different things in our society. Jesus takes it and uses it here. And He tells you and He tells me the same thing that He told Nicodemus. We all need the same thing. We need to be born again. Without being born again, you don't see the kingdom of heaven. You do not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only through Him as He laid down His life for us and then rose again from the dead that we can experience that newness of life. The only way to experience that new life is through simple faith. 